Welcome to Bookworms. I'm Joe, and with me today is not Alex. We're doing another bonus episode with Becky. Hi, Becky. Hi, Worms. What are we talking about today, Becky? We're talking about this book called Peep, and it's by Roland Smith, and it's one of my favorite books to teach my middle schoolers. I don't know if they actually enjoy it. I don't care. And what grade do you teach this book in? Um, eighth grade. At the end of their eighth grade, I loop with students, so I get them two years in a row. Oh. So by the end of eighth grade, everyone's tired of one another, and this is just a good book to wrap everything up. Why is it a good book to wrap everything up? Tell me more. <laughs> Mostly because the work... They can do on their own and we can have more of a discussion base than sitting there every single us going all right what literary device is used on page 116 easy book to read then easy book to teach yes um the lexile score for anybody who cares about that what, is, what's the lexile score i'm telling you hold your short it's 760, which means that's roughly fourth grade. So in theory, a fourth grader would be able to read this book independently without a problem. In okay. theory. In theory. In theory. I and then, that's not reality always. And then, of course... Are, are you saying you have trouble reading this sometimes, Becky? Why are you interrupting me? <laughs> there are, of course, people who don't abide by lexile scores which is fine i don't know how else people do it that's what in my district we do we use lexile scores along with the maze assessment and the orf which are just reading diagnostic tests okay well now that everyone's confused quiet you okay so we're discussing peak and who's it by you said roland smith Roland Smith. Yeah, Smith. 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 It's not. <laughs> Why do you hate me? Yes, Roland Smith. Roland, like the wonderful character from A Knight's Tale. And the most commonest last English name. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so you gonna tell us about this book? Well, um, yes, I'm gonna give some background first okay so peak was this originally a standalone novel and it was published in 2007 so a long long time ago <laughs> the next book in the series didn't come about until 2015 so almost 10 years later and it's called the edge which is not supposed to be dirty so don't give me that look. I wasn't going with dirty. I don't know what that was um, that look then. I was going to say, you know, why was there such a big gap between books? I have no idea. Is The Edge about Everest still, or is it about a different mountain, different people? Different mountain, but it's still about Peak. So in The Edge, Peak is invited to become part of a we're getting a little out of order here so peak is the character of the book that we're yes. discussing today peak marcello 
in the novel Peak is a 14-year-old boy from New York City who may or may not climb Everest, but he has biological parents that are called rock rats, which means they climbed without sponsorship, is what I gleaned from the book. Then in the second book, Peak is still there, and his mom now features more in the adventure. And they go to Afghanistan-Pakistan border to climb, I forget what mountain it is, but it's part of a race. So there's groups of people all around the world who are trying to get to the top of their mountains first. However, (laughs) because reality doesn't always work, (laughs) Peek and his mom are ambushed, for lack of a better word, and his mom is kidnapped. And there's this girl, Alessia, is how I'm pronouncing it. I don't know. Maybe it's Alesha. I, I don't remember. I don't know. I didn't hear the audiobook of this. Um, but she's there. And Peek has to save his mom, basically. Okay. So that's the second book, but we're here to talk about the first book, right? I wanted to give background. But we're jumping ahead in the series instead of back in the series, aren't so confused. we? confused. Can we start over? So so does does Edge does Edge take place before or after Peak? After. So all these So this is forward information. This background is... information. <laughs> oh, it's it's background information so that way you know where it goes. Stop it. Don't even. Because in a pre-reading activity, before my students read it, they go to Roland Smith's website and they look at all this stuff. So it's pre-reading. Okay. Is it based off a true story? Or is this all fiction? It's all fiction because it was written three years before the youngest person who's ever summoned Everest did it. Who's the youngest person? Well, as it stands right now, it's Jordan Romero who was 13 years old, and he summited in 2010. But that's not to be confused with, I'm going to butcher her name, and I apologize, Malartha, Malavatha, Perna. Um, she was also 13. She summited in 2014, but she's a few days older. Like, at the time, she's not the youngest. Jordan still is. And it's not to be confused then with Ming Kippa Sherpa, who was from Nepal and summited in 2003. And she held the youngest person title for seven years until Jordan came along. How old was she? She was 15. And she also climbed on the Chinese side, which is different than the, the Nepalese side. Which way is harder? I don't know. The purists would might say China, the, the Tibetan side. In the book, Peak, one of the people says that the Tibetan side has more prestige, but there are three different ways getting up there. There's the Nepalese side, the Tibetan side, and then I believe it's the Western side, but that one's not talked about very often. I think the Nepalese side probably isn't as prestigious because you can get to two mountains from that. Because you go up to a certain point and you either go to Everest or you go to Lhotse. And it's probably the more popular one since it's 
more Easy likely to get, to. or more likely to get permission to, since the Chinese are kind of anal about who gets to do what in their country. Exactly, and something just just also very weird, not weird, coincidental. Um, there was this girl, sorry, girl named Abby Sunderland, who was sailing around the world around the same time that Jordan Romero was summiting Everest. Abby wasn't able to do it at that time. Her ship, her boat, whatever, um, got injured during a storm and she had to be rescued. But Jordan summited, I think it was May 22nd, 2010. And then Abby had to be saved June 12th, 2010. So very similar time. Okay. Okay. We're going to get into the book now? We're going to get into the book now. Oh, thank goodness. I was getting nervous. I have a thing about Everest. I can't help it. Like a conspiracy theory. Y'all, there is a conspiracy theory about Everest. And it is that George Mallory and his partner might have actually gotten to the top first. And it wasn't Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay. But the evidence was on a camera that... Mallory's partner had and they found the camera the Chinese government found the camera and tried to develop the film and it magically disappeared and this was corroborated in it was a book poop I went up with National Geographic and they found Mallory's body and then a few years later they went up to go look for his partner's body and they they knew the locations and they talked to people on an expedition who had gone up in like the seventies and talked about finding his partner. But I forget the book now. Either way, the Chinese did not get to the top first, which just makes them angry. That's really all it is. They're just pissed. Okay. Anyway, we're going to get into the book now. Yeah, Side tracks over 12 and a half minutes in. <laughs> Don't make fun of me. Worse than Elena and... You know, you can't diss the book and then be all nice to them about it. Stop it. So, the book opens up with Peek on the back of a truck riding in a mole skiing. And then we're zipped back into the past. And he's climbing a building in New York City. And it's cold. And his face freezes to the building. Well then, <laughs> he's like, "Why do I do this now?" He gets caught, surprise, surprise, and he's sent to juvenile hall, as one does, you know. Trespassing is a crime, after all. Yes, it is. And then while he's in juvie, the police officers tell him, "Oh." We now know who tagged these six other buildings. So this isn't the first time he's done this. It's the first time he got caught because the mayor or the governor, I'm pretty sure it was the mayor, had a party in the Woolworth building and caught him. I've seen pictures of the Woolworth building. I don't quite understand, but I'm not a climber. So what else? Anyway, his English teacher visits him which I just thought was very strange and gives him his final summer assignment. Like you can finish out the year here in juvie by 
finishing these moleskins. Write a story. And a denouement is important to it. Pete goes to this really weird school where they don't actually have grades. They have projects. And I don't know. It seems a little weird for your English teacher to visit you in juvie. But whatever. And we're technically not supposed to call it juvie. It's supposed to be the JDC. The Juvenile De Detention Center. Is that how it's said in the book? Yes. Okay. Why do they do that? Probably to make it feel less threatening. They're also not supposed to call their guards guards. Sometimes in education or when you're working with children, they want to be very flowery because heaven forbid the truth is out there. Anyway, so after Vincent comes, his mom comes. And his mom, as you can imagine, is upset. And no, right? I know, right? And she's going off the cuff and this, that, and the other, the other thing. And then is like, and then after last night's event, and Peek has no idea, no idea whatsoever. And so his mom just looks at him and is like, yo, a boy died copycatting your dumbass. So this boy copycatted by climbing the Flatiron building and was 72 feet up and then became a pancake. So Only 72 feet? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm currently reading another book for our podcast where apparently a man attempted suicide, jumped off a 77-foot thing and hit concrete and was able to walk away with a couple of Band-Aids and a therapist. <laughs> so they want to put Peek away for three years and three months because that's when he will turn 18 because they feel he is responsible for this boy's death. That seems a little thin. But stranger things have happened in reality. Just saying, it seems a little thin, so, that's all. So right now, there's this thing happening in, was it Virginia, where the teacher got shot by the six-year-old? The teacher is suing the district, and the district is like, you can't sue us. This is part of your job. You should expect to be shot. So who's at fault here? Well, is that the same one where the parents are getting held responsible for the, the kid? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess the the fact that the parents are being held responsible for the, the, the kid being able to get a hold of the gun and shooting the teacher, that that's legit. But obviously, teachers should not be considering part of the job is getting shot at. Right? Yeah. But that's how that's working out right now. And that's the question I give to students when we reach that part is should peak be held responsible for this other boy's actions because it bleeds into other things particularly we we talk about school shootings because we are in eighth grade they're a little bit more mature and they can handle it and so we talk about how after a school shooting everyone goes after everybody from the school district to individual teachers to the gun makers and who is actually responsible and some interesting conversations happen. Some kids definitely, definitely are anti-gun. Surprise, surprise for the district I teach in. Some kids, though, think that Peak is to blame. What is the reasoning for blaming Peak? He's a leader 
and we follow our leaders. You know, he's not going out there saying, do what I do. He's just kind of doing it in the shadows. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't understand some of the thought process. I think it's a fine line, though, because we could also tie it into, you know, January 6th. Did that man tell his followers to go and take down the Capitol? I think it's different because as World War II pointed out, just because you say I'm following the orders of my commander doesn't wipe responsibility away from you. But if we're going to say that, you know, a leader is responsible for any action that's taken independently, you could almost say that uh, the guy that created Batman should be responsible for any vigilantes out there that are trying to stop crime on their own in a skin tight suit. That's just, you know, that's, you know, another extreme you could take it in and yeah. And so that's why I said, it's like, you know, if peak is not telling, going on the media saying, do what I do to face buildings, climb crazy, uh, scaled up walls and all that stuff. You know, he's just someone just doing what he's doing. I don't know. Just seems wrong. But it's a good discussion. And sometimes it gets fairly circular. <laughs> Excuse me. Students yell at one another and it's the end of eighth grade. I'm just like, whatever, be kind. In your yelling. So peaks in jail. And then they go to, it's not a grand jury because he's a minor and it's sort of closed family court. And what happens is his biological dad appears, comes storming in to save the day. And the plan is for Peak to go to Chiang Mai, which is in Thailand. Through all of this, he has two half sisters who have the same birthday as him, and he loves them to pieces. They're called the Peas because their names are Patrice and Paula, and his name is Peak, the Peas. Ah, oh, there's a theme. And one of the things that the Peas ask him, they're like, your dad's not our dad? And Peak's heart just, <gasps> because they'd never told the kids that. And that just like gets me in the feels. His name, so his name is Peak, because I would murder you if this had happened. He was on Annapurna on a climb. He had summited when he got the call that his child was born. And Peak's mom asked, what do you want to name him? And he said, Peak. And she goes, Pete? No, Mountain Peak. P-E-A-K. I would hurt you. I would so hurt you. No. So then a couple months later, Peek is a newborn still. They're living in Colorado and his mom is on a practice wall in their backyard and she falls, breaks her body. Takes a year to get her back in shape, but she doesn't go back climbing because she's like, I have this little one and I can't be selfish. So Peek's dad, Josh, goes and climbs and does his thing and pops in every once in a while like a prairie dog. And then Rolf comes. For the longest time, kids couldn't figure out how to pronounce that man's name until we listened to the audiobook. They were like, is it Ralph? Is it Rolf? No, I'm like, it's Rolf. It's not. Thanks for to the audiobook for backing me up. Anyway, Rolf and Peek's mom used to be a thing. And they rekindled that thing and they moved to New York City 
And while Pete went to all sorts of climbing camps, it wasn't enough. And so that's why he ended up doing skyscrapers. That's the end of one chapter. I forget what the chapter's called. So he put on a plane with his dad to go to Chiang Mai. But somewhere in Bangkok, there's a doctor's appointment. And I believe it talks about all the places that he was poked and prodded. And I have had to explain to students where he was prodded, which is really fun for no one. I can see you want to say something. Do you have a quote for us? Is that why you opened up the book? Possibly. It goes, let's see. They checked my eyes, ears, mouth, and other holes I don't even want to think about. Wanting to explain that? No. I would think the eighth graders would uh, kind of figure that out on their own. Some of them do. Some of them don't. And they're the ones that ask. The ones that don't? Yeah. They're like, what? What other holes? And then there's giggling because the ones who get it know what's about to happen. After the doctor's appointment, Josh tells Peek, JK, we're not going to Chiang Mai. We're going to rest. And Peek is like, what? Everest? Okay. Because apparently it's a big deal for climbers to climb Everest. I can't imagine why. Any ideas? They just like uh, copying everyone else that's done it, I guess. Burn. So they go to Kathmandu, which is in Nepal, and Josh just leaves him. He plops him at a hotel and is like, deuces, I'm going to the mountain. Do we know why he just leaves him to go do it himself? Even though he just said he was going to bring Pika with him? Part of it is Josh was already at the mountain when he got the call about Pete being in jail. So he was already acclimatizing and he has clients who are waiting for him at the, the mountain. Peak, if he wants to climb Everest, has to acclimatize. He can't go straight from New York City to base camp at Everest without a problem. So a lot of people will spend a couple of weeks or a week in Kathmandu before moving on. What's the elevation of base camp? Well, it depends on what side you're on. The side that Peak is going to be on is going to be around 17, 18,000 feet. And if you're coming from sea level, while it might not be totally awful, it's not going to be fun. Unless you're one of those lucky people whose genes is like, what else? Doesn't matter. Oxygen? I don't need that. He has a bunch of gear in his room because his dad spared no expense, like Dr. Hamilton. Jurassic Park reference. You're just staring at me because you didn't seem to get it. You're you're bouncing a little bit, so trying to keep up, that's all. So he's left in this hotel room with a bunch of gear because Josh has left. And as any sane person does, he tries out the gear, including the camp stove. And there's a knock on the door and another boy is on the other side. And he's just like, what the fuck? Without actually saying that. And Pete can only say... I just had to try it out. And I'm like, of course. That's what boys do. They have to try it out, right? It's not just boys. Girls try things out, too. We would open a window. Would you? We probably would do it outside. Would you? Yes. I'm not going to put a 
grill or a stove going in my house, except for the big one over there, the one that's supposed to be here. At 14, would you have? Oh, hell, I don't even know if I would have known how to turn the stove on. I could have made a campfire, which I know should have been outside. Moving on. <laughs> anyway, this young boy, his name is Sunjo, and he is there to take him to the Indriani Temple to meet this man named Zopa, who is a monk. The monk, Zopa, is going to help Peek get to the mountain. Josh trusts him implicitly, and we will find out many reasons why. But Zopa, throughout the book, and I've kind of talked to students about this, is portrayed as one of these wizard-type people. Like, just magically knows when a snowstorm is going to be coming, or exactly what size somebody is just by looking at them. So we talked a little bit about how people of color are portrayed. And sometimes students don't understand how different perceptions are. Because for some of them, a monk being able to predict the weather makes total sense. They try and uh, they go back to Peak's hotel room and they try and all the gear again in front of Zopa. And Zopa is like, keep, separate pile, I know what I'm going to do with, stuff to get rid of. And then the stuff that they have to get rid of totally, they go and find gear to trade it out with. And then they go to Everest. They get on their on their way. Sanjo, Zopa, Peak, and these two brothers, Yogi and Yash. Peak and Sanjo are forced to <laughs> hike and climb most of the way because they are a little peeny. They're not ready for an Everest attempt. Peak especially and Sanjo is just not ready to be there. When they get to Everest, there's shit happening. Someone has to leave because they're sick. And this happens quite frequently in this book. People get sick or injured and they peace out. Uh, quick question. During all this hiking, was this the father's Josh's plan? Or are they just kind of going on their own without him knowing that he's being followed? So Josh told Zopa, get my son to Everest. And so Zopa, Zopa was a climber. He was a Sherpa. So he supposedly knows what it takes to get to this top. So that's one of those magical things. He sees Peak, sees that he is not up to snuff, and is like, well, he's going to walk and hike and climb every night until we get there. Okay. And all these sicknesses, what are... Uh, these actual like sicknesses people would normally get, or are they just kind of BS things that like just to get rid of extra characters? They're legit things. So the first person they have high blood pressure, and as they've gone up the mountain, their health has deteriorated. I don't know if that would necessarily get somebody sent home, but in the book, they did. There's the horrible flu, gastrointestinal illness that goes through the camp in the book. And a bunch of people are just like, nope, I'm going home. So I would guess that might happen. I honestly don't know because I have never been there and I have no desire to go there. You don't want to climb Everest? Why not? Because I don't. 
<laughs> it smells. I'm sure. It's not on your bucket list. It's not. And what do you mean it smells? The air's too thin for it to smell. There are so many people who shit everywhere. Like he talks about that in the book, how it's just this trash heap. And there's tons of news article articles that are about all of the trash and refuge and human waste. But it's frozen, isn't it? Seriously? Seriously. 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 Isn't the human waste just frozen? Are you serious right now? Anyway. No, because the sun actually hits it. It is on a sort of equator-type tropical thing. What are those called? Longitude or latitude? One of those. And so when the sun is hitting it, it actually gets warm. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I'm a smack you. You heard it here, people. Anyway, so they get there. His dad is telling people that they have to go. And we meet a couple new characters. We meet a film crew. We'll get to that later. We meet a journalist. And we meet Captain Check, who, again, I've had to talk to students about representation of people of color, particularly stereotypical Asian uses of English. Because in the book, Captain Check is written as somebody who doesn't have a good grasp of the English language. And the way it sounds, especially on the audiobook, sounds like there's that stereotypical do you way. Think, do you think this was done intentionally, or is it just how books were written back then? Or is this like a negative look? Or is it trying to take a real person that English is their second or third or fourth language, and they just don't have the vocabulary or the accents that Americans or British folk or whoever would recognize. I think some of it is to use him as comedic relief. So there is there is the knowing use of the stereotype because Captain Sheck's character is dumb. So dumb. I want to say that the intention wasn't there, but that's how it does come across at times, if that makes sense. I'll accept it. Or is it? Oh, so this Film crew and the journalist. The journalist is Holly Angelo, and she is there along with the film crew to document Peak's summit attempt, which is supposed to be hush hush. Nobody's supposed to know about it because, in theory, he will be the youngest person. So remember, this book was written before Jordan Romero. They have to keep it quiet because even though there's no age limit on the Chinese side, the Tibetan side, they could still get kicked off the mountain. So they're there. They're hanging out. Josh has to take his group of people up to ABC, which is Advanced Base Camp. Some people say ABC Camp, which annoys me because the C stands for camp. It's like when somebody says the ATM machine. Stop it. I can't. But there's a storm up there at ABC, and there's a lot of health concerns. One person gets HAPE, which is H-A-P-E. It's high altitude pulmonary edema, so your lungs fill with fluid. And if you don't come down in a timely manner, you die. Isn't that wonderful? Spectacular. ABC on the Tibetan side is at 21,161 feet, 
just an FYI, which is higher than Kilimanjaro and Denali. How high is it to Everest? Is it like halfway up? Is it, well, just so people have a scale, because obviously, you know, if you're saying it's taller than, you know, they're higher than Denali already, in reference to Everest, how far, how much further do you have to go? So Everest is roughly 29,032 feet. So 29 minus 21 minus 29, however you do it. So there's still like 8,000 feet, right? Did I do the math correctly? Sure. Did that answer the question? <laughs> there's still a mile and a half of climbing. Well, I, I guess I'm I'm asking more of a, how many base how many base camps are there or how many camps are there that they have to stop at before they get to the summit? How much elevation gain between each one? There are six in the book on the Tibetan side. And don't so as you go further up, I don't think there's a set amount in between each one because you can in theory climb from camp four to camp six without a problem. It's just the elevation is going to kill you because it's, you know, 2,000 feet more up in the air and there's no air. Rarified, as Frank Sinatra will call it. Did I burst into song there? No. Royalty problem. <laughs> you don't have the money for it. Anyway, so they, there's a big storm at ABC. People are getting hape. They have to come back and with this thing called the Gamoff bag, which is a big orange hot dog looking tube with a window and it helps pressurize the people who have hape or there's hace. So hape is pulmonary, which is your lungs. And then hace is your cerebral edema. So it's a brain thing. So much fun. He keeps going up the mountain though and it acclimatizes and he gets sick, which doesn't sound fun. Because there's no air. And I don't know what it's like when you get a cold, but I can't breathe anyway. I can only imagine. And they're not able to use oxygen masks yet. Because the purpose of acclimatization is to get the oxygen into your blood cells. And if you're using oxygen, it defeats the purpose. Make sense? Totally. On this trip up, we found out a little bit more about Sunjo and why he's climbing. His dad has died. And the money that his dad sent to the family was used to put Sunjo and his two sisters through school. Well, the money is basically drying up. And so Sunjo now has to find work so that way his sisters can continue to go to school. Because if they don't go to school, their opportunities are gone. And they will be stuck in Kathmandu doing who knows what. So we learn a little bit about that. And Zopa says something that kind of follows through the rest of the book and it you can never tell who the mountain will allow and who it will not so what do you think about that foreshadowing uh probably are we still on the first like 20 pages of the book no we're getting to part two part two yeah moleskine two because <laughs> peak is writing all of this down because of his english teacher they come to the mountain, Peak feels like shit, but there's a package waiting for him. And just like me, and I don't know who else, but us weirdos who really love mail, he's so excited. There's some stuff from his sisters, and then the piece de resistance 
is there something from Rolf? And it says something along the lines of, I love you. I miss you. And Pete gets into this whole thing about how it's not we miss you. It's I. Josh never returned any letter that Peek sent. So now Peek is also just like, the fuck, Josh? What's up with this? And then we go to Molsky number two, which starts out with secrets. Secrets? Secrets. So I, I take it they're not going to stay secret for very long? Of course not. Some of these do, to an extent. There's a big meeting about Peek's summit attempt, but jump back. We learn that Sunjo is only six days older than Peak. And it's very dramatic. It's also very dramatic because Sunjo is in Tibet illegally, but legally at the same time. Sunjo is a Tibetan citizen who crossed into Nepal illegally. And now he's back in Tibet on forged documents. Okay, then. <laughs> their drama so much drama and so there's this whole thing about putting the two boys up on the mountain basically it comes down to whoever is the youngest or whoever does whatever spectacular thing first they get the sponsorships they get the money so there's a little competition now between peak and sunju sunjo sunjo yes the competition is for peak getting that prestige and helping his dad out because his dad's company isn't doing very well. They look really good on paper, kind of like a farmer, but in reality, things aren't going well. Sunjo, if he gets the money, can help his family, send his sisters to school, send himself to school. And as we all know, the more educational opportunities you have, the more opportunities you have in life in general. Is this book kind of getting people to think harder about the, the locals who they are doing all this work for the people, how they're basically getting screwed over anyways. And, you know, all these Americans or Europeans are getting all this extra, you know, all this credit and all this extra money for doing these feats where the Napoleons and Tibetans are getting almost nothing. Is that some sort of voice in the story? Yeah, It's there. There is a section where the film crew is complaining about the yaks that take a bunch of stuff up along with the Sherpa porters. And the film crew is bitching about the poop and the smells. And Pete turns around and is just like, without them, we wouldn't be able to do this. And rah, 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 rah. You remember that documentary you watched on the Napoleon? I, yeah. There's a book in my room. What's his book called? I don't remember. I'm a horrible human. Do you remember his name? No. I'm a horrible human. But his story is pretty cool, too. Because mm -hmm. they were trying to do so many things in this short amount of time. Yeah, he was trying to peak, was it, the, the top 10 mountains and uh, the, the, the the range there. and in like six months. In six months, and it had never been done. And Without he, oxygen, too, I think. Yeah, they were free climbing a lot of the stuff. And China was being jerks and not letting him hike one of the mountains. And they just barely were able to get it in at the last minute to make the world record. And the other the guy was a, and his buddy, or the guy was a uh, British Special Forces guy, but he was Nepalan. Nepalese. Nepalese uh, man. So he was making this big deal about how 
they didn't have the uh, media coverage for it because they weren't white. Mm-hmm. And it ties into a little bit with a conversation Zopa has with Peak, where Zopa says, you climb for sport. Sherpas climb for to support their families. And with my eighth graders, we have that conversation. What is the difference between doing something for sport and doing something to support your family? And we talk about football players and how a lot of time, when was it, 10 years ago or so, it seemed like a lot of NFL players were saying they didn't have any money. Do you remember that? I feel like they always say that. (laughs) We talk about that. We talk about as them, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, if they decide to go, where's the line between doing something for sport, for fun, and doing it for a scholarship or for their family, etc. So we got the competition and they're racing to the top and they're having to go up and down as you normally do because to acclimate yourself to higher elevations. Yep. And they do that a few times. They also, Peak also makes friends with a lot of the porters and there's a short story about Gulu who's one of the porters and his yak and it's very reminiscent of the star wars where's the one where it's cold and luke is shoved into an animal i don't remember which one that is it's the second original movie the empire strikes back that one it's a very similar story where the yak and gulu are in an avalanche and the yak isn't gonna make it And so he kills him and then crawls in so he doesn't die. And then the Chinese finds him and he comes out and they think he's a Yeti. And some people find it still funny and some people find it gross. And yeah, so they keep going. There are more people dying from hate. Some people just walked out of their tent going to the bathroom and never came back. So it does talk about some of the dangers. How many people are dying on this? Because in reality, it's relatively safe. They're pretty good about making sure people don't get too sick anymore, right? Make sure people don't get sick. And they're pretty good about making sure people know to figure out where their surroundings are. Like, Where's the cliff? Where's the crevasse? I never didn't keep count in this book. I would say 10 people, maybe, altogether. At one of these upper camps, though... As they're trying to bring people down off the mountain, Captain Sheck appears on a helicopter that is supposed to be saving people. And this helicopter goes up to 22,965 feet, roughly. Which, when you think about what a helicopter needs, is pretty impressive. Because there's not a lot of air up there. But Zopa gets taken and everyone has a riot. Because Zopa is loved. He's a magician. Magical monk. Back at base camp, Peek and Josh have a huge fight because in one of the letters that Peek sent home, he said, I'm climbing Everest. And his mom did not know about that at all. And so she's a little pissed and wants him to call her. And Josh is like, WTF, you couldn't have my back and keep this on the DL? Peek talks to his mom and she's like, you have to be totally selfish. You can't think about anybody else but yourself. You have to harden your heart 
a heart of stone and hopefully when you come back down you can thaw it and that's the only way you're going to survive is to be selfish and have a hardened heart then right after that conversation with his mom there's more drama about sunjo there's a lot of drama in this story there is this is a secret a surprise that nobody saw coming except you maybe maybe not i don't know Anyway, you, you, don't, you don't remember from the first time you read it. You're like, oh my god. Because you've read it so many times now. Possibly. Possibly. So Josh comes in looking for the sat phone, the satellite phone, and is like, dude, you're getting a shot at the summit. Sunjo's gonna get a shot at the summit. You and I, we're gonna work our stuff out, but you have to understand something. Sunjo's shot at the summit is because I'm paying a debt. To his dad. It turns out two years previous on K2, Sanjo's dad saved Peak's dad's life. There was a terrible storm. Sanjo's dad went up, saved Peak's dad, and brought him down to base camp. And while the two were being worked on, Sanjo's dad died. And for those of you that don't know, K2 was the second tallest mountain in the world, but the hardest one to climb. And has claimed more lives than Everest. But it doesn't get the distinction that Everest has because it's not the tallest, which is bullshit. I hope no middle schoolers are listening to this. Moving on. Finally, it seems like Josh's clients figure out what's happening, at least with Peak, and they are rip shit because they've paid anywhere from $50,000 to $100,000. Can't talk for this trip. And they're like, if you're going to send them up, we're not going up. And so there's this whole battle then between the clients and Josh. And eventually Josh is like, I'm sorry, Peek. You're not going to be able to go up. Wink, wink. There's a secret team made up of Zopa, Peek, Sanjo, Yogi, and Yash. Bringing the brothers back. And so they start. And it turned into a kerfuffle, of course. Because the Chinese government sent climbers to Everest to check everyone's papers. Because Captain Sheck kind of knows what's up, even though he's dumb as a rock. He's like, something's fishy here. And so the only way for Sunjo to not go to jail is to go down the Nepalese side of Everest. So they have to go over the top now. But Zopa gets sick. Sick to the point where he is like, I can't climb the mountain. It's not going to go well if I keep going. And everyone's like, well, fuck. And there's also this idea swirling again about death. Peek sees his first dead body ever. And I think the first time I read that, I was like, what? It's 14. I was four. Not everyone is as fortunate as you, Becky, to have wonderful parents that show you dead bodies. When you make it sound like that, <laughs> sounds really horrible. My grandpa died. Okay. It wasn't like they planned it. You also went for picnics and graveyards, though. That was when I was a little older, and my mom was really into genealogy. And there were no dead bodies in the graveyards that we could see. Thank God. Thank all the deities. But on May 30th, at 1.31 in the morning... They start their summit push without Zopa. So it's Sunjo, Yash, Yogi, and Peak. 
And you have to start at the ass crack of dawn before the ass crack of dawn in order to make it. Because wherever your camp six is, you have 12 hours to get from camp six to the summit and back. And of course, going down is a lot easier than going up unless you're on the Nepalese side. And then there's that fucking stairway of people, just that massive line. I hate that picture. Forget where what article it's from. But it, it was from one uh, the the guy that hiked it, the Nepalese guy that was breaking the record at that day. He hiked it. He, they went out earlier than everyone else by like three hours. And when they're going down, that picture was taken, and then it made international headlines. They've actually limited the number of people on the Nepalese side now, though. Good. They, they, they're making it harder for people to to climb it. So. One of the side note, there's all sorts of discussion, and they do talk about it a little bit in the book, is whether skill is needed to climb. Because if a Sherpa is taking all of your shit up the mountain and all you have to do is hike your ass up, how hard is it? Aside from the fact that you are 29,000 feet above sea level, if you're not carrying anything, anywho, probably just insulted a bunch of people. Listeners will be furious with you all five of them oh you're up to five wow in the big time at one point peak has a moment i very much relate to especially on a recent vacation to the white mountains he thinks he's hiking this thing called the yellow band and he's not he's not he's not even close And that's how I basically felt every time I looked at my map and was like, it's still another mile. No, it's not. It's like two miles. And then I got a blister on my tongue. Anyway, I was getting closer. Peak starting to get what's called mountain or summit fever, where all you can think of is getting to the summit and getting to the summit. He's 600 feet away. He can see the flags and he's like, I'm just going to go for it. While Yogi, Yash, and Sunjo like, yo, we need to take a break. So he's going for it. He's going for it. And at 109 in the afternoon, he has a moment. And he looks back at Sunjo and he's like, shit, Zopa. Because Zopa at one point was like, Sunjo's not going to be able to make it without you. You got to come. You got to come help him out. But baby, he started to hauling Sunjo. And telling Sunjo all the reasons why they got to do this. Are they going to summit together? So adorable. You're going to love it. So he's hauling Sunjo's ass. Yogi and Yash are climbing behind him. And at 10 feet from the summit pole, he goes, nah, I'm done. Who does? Peak? Peak. Peak is like, I'm done. I'm heading back down, yo. Peace. Sanjo, that summit pole is all yours. And Sanjo is very much like, the fuck? What? What are you talking about? Even Yash and Yogi are like, what? What is going on? But Peek is like, I don't have to be here. There's no reason. My dad is a grown-ass man and can figure out his financial problems. You are trying to better your family because my dad was kind of responsible for your dad's death. And so Peek walks away. 
he films Sanjo getting to the pole and going down the Nepalese side and he goes down the Tibetan side where he meets up with Josh at one point and Josh is like did you make it to the top and P goes no I barely made it past camp six tell us how you really feel about your dad right right he's interrogated once he gets all the way down to base camp by Captain Sheck because Captain Sheck is kind of shady about it. Figures something shady happened. Doesn't know what, but he knows something. And Peek's like, yeah, I got nothing. Where's the other boy? In Nepal, which was true. Goes to his tent and just wants to crash. And he finds a note from Zopa. And it says, I will see you on the road. And Peek's like, I'm done. I'm leaving. Because not only is there not that note from Zopa, there's also a letter from his sisters and it says you're invited to our birthday party because <laughs> remember he's only six days younger than Sanjo and Sanjo's birthday was right around that time so he gets on a plane and goes as fast as the plane can and who's at this party but his English teacher and his English teacher is very much like you're missing the end of the story that's that's weird that his English teacher would be there right but this whole school that he attends is weird. It's super weird. Anyway, he he arrives. The reporter is there. And the reporter is also very nosy and is like, so. Sandro says, thank you for his present. What was his present? And Peek's just like, I don't know. <laughs> and then Peek finishes the Moleskine with this statement about how all you'll find at the top of Everest is a divine view. The things that matter lie far below. And then it ends. That's cute. Right? You're <laughs> Ah, it's so cute. So then we talk about choices, the students and I. Did Peek make the right choice? Did he really have to pay a debt that his dad incurred? And bringing it back to school shootings, you know, I tell my students, like, are you going to come and help raise my kids if I die for you? Are you going to help give them birthday presents and Christmas presents, help them with college? If I put my life in front of yours and take the bullet? I'm sure since they usually meet one or both of them at some point, that at least one of the students is like, yes, I'll do whatever for them. They're so adorable. Actually, they're like, no. Well, I'm not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Why would we do that? And then this past year, when I let this one kid know that it is not in my job description to save his life, he was very upset. He's like, what do you mean? You don't have to save my life. It's not in my job description, kid. That's just being a human being that's decent. He was not impressed. He didn't like me anyway, because I would not let him off the hook. For things. As I usually tell people, I don't save stupid. They're middle schoolers. They're not stupid. I'm not calling them stupid. I'm just saying when, when people, like at my job, is I have some medical training. And they're like, you know, if someone does this, you have to say it. I was like, no, I don't. If they do something stupid, I don't I don't have to save them. <laughs> I can't save stupid. I was, I was talking to someone um, who had EMT, EMT, there you go, EMT training. And I was joking about getting hurt. And they were like, it would actually be better if I didn't touch you and help you out. And the 
town people, the town EMT services did it. And I was like, what? Why? But anyway. And then did Peak make the right choice at the top of the mountain? What do you think? Should he have gotten to the top? I guess me being me, <laughs> I would have said, I would have found a way for us both to do it. And not necessarily that, you know, then you'll go around bragging about it, but yeah, still giving him the credit. But just if I see a summit, I have to hit it. That's what she said. That's actually what my co-teacher argued. This was the first time he had read the book. And he said, because of the last line that Peak says about the only thing you'll find at the top of Everest is a divine view. He's like, that means that he climbed to the very top. He hit the summit pole. So we don't know, do we? Sure. You're so helpful. I know. That's what I do best. Can I talk about the other books now? Uh, how long is it going to take? Very quick. Okay. Two minutes. Go. So these books, it's a series. Peak was a standalone. And then in 2015, Roland Smith decided to make it a series. And there's three other books. So the second book is called The Edge. So if you said I had two minutes, hush. <laughs> it's called The Edge. And it's him and his mom in this race competition thing. And they're sent to Afghanistan, Pakistan border, and they get attacked. And his mom is kidnapped and Peak has to save his mom. Boom. Number three is called The Ascent. And in this, I'm going to butcher the name. It's called the Habo Razi Mountain. And it's a super isolated mountain somewhere in Malaysia, I think. And he climbs it again with this Alessia, Alessia girl that was found in number two and then book number four piggybacks on book number three i haven't read book number four yet but basically spoiler they get to the top and now they're going down but zopa and his dad who make an appearance in book number three are having problems so there you go have you read, written, written other books that are all adventure-based and, I don't know, they're just fun and they make you think. Your favorite out of the bunch of them? Yes. Yeah. Number two was just too over the top. Number three was better and I haven't read number four. I've read, uh, it was something about cryptoids, oceanic cryptoids, but I forget what the book was called. And I liked it. I like his writing. It's sort of like a Gary Paulson for the new generation. Who's Gary Paulson? Seriously? Are you fucking with me? No. Who's Gary Paulson? I can't. I can't even. He wrote Hatchet, the quintessential adventure book about the kid named Brian who's in a plane crash in the middle of Canada and has to survive. Nope. Seriously? Seriously. What? No. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. I can't even. Oh my gosh. What? There's an entire series. Okay. I'll take your word for it. These were adventure books. They were made for dudes. Yeah, I read Jack London. This was like the baby step to Jack London. Yeah. When you I, were I, in second grade, you read Gary Paulson. And then in fourth grade, you read Jack London. Yeah, I didn't really read in second grade. Uh, like, I was a late bloomer. I, I, I literally, like, like, legit couldn't read till third grade. And then I jumped right into Jack London. I, I can't believe that this is happening right now. Like, my, my heart hurts. What about the river? 
Wood Song, Lawn Boy, probably not Lawn Boy because that's kind of a newer one. All right. Oh, well, I read White Fang. Maybe you're thinking of Gary Soto that you didn't read because then I could. No, no. No. Uh, uh, My Side of the Mountain author. Yes. I read George. Yeah, I read them. You read her. Her. Them. She wrote under a pseudonym. Yeah. Because the patriarchy. Okay. <laughs> but the book I just read, one of our children, Pulpa's The Red Fox, that's written by her. Uh, that was probably one of my first books I read, first novels. And then I read White Fang. <laughs> I, I, I kind of jumped. <laughs> no Gary Soto and no Gary Paulson. I don't know. I don't know about you. Make fun of him, everyone. Please do. Make her feel bad for suggesting that. I will not feel bad. You haven't read Hatchet. This must be how Anna Kendrick's character felt in Pitch Perfect, talking to Sean Astin. Nope, not him. Different person. Skylar. Nope, not that. Whatever. Her counterpart, when he was like, you've never watched a movie? He's all like, the guy gets the girl, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Anyway, any questions about my book? No, I, I think we covered it pretty well. You did a good job talking about it. That's just because you don't want to talk anymore, isn't it? No, not at all. He's looking at the clock, people. Looking at your eyes. If you call them Skittles, I'm going to throw my pen at you. Rainbow. Rainbow. You're all done then? If you're done, I'm done. Okay. So you had no other comments? You should read Peak, and you should read Hatchet. Okay. This is a bonus episode with Becky talking about Peak, giving her book recommendations. Hope you enjoyed. If you did enjoy, please let us know. We can do more of these bonus episodes. Do you have other ideas for bonus episodes? Let us know also. You can reach us on our email at kendallbookworms at gmail.com. We have an Instagram at kendallbookworms. We are on all the different podcast listeners. Tell your friends about us. Get those listeners up. We need more listeners so we can keep doing this. Get it to six. Yeah, get us to six. six. Okay. Hope you guys enjoyed. Laters. Bye, worms.